0: good to be back in the pulpit this morning. Um, I've been out for the last couple of weeks. Brother Caleb preached two weeks ago and then uh, I had a rogue cow and couldn't preach last week so I feel a whole lot better and uh, I'm just glad to be here and glad for the opportunity to be able to do what God has called me to do and that's preach his word. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we'll be in 1st Kings chapter number 19. 1st Kings chapter 19. The last time I preached, I preached out of 1 Kings chapter 18, and I'm just going to continue that thought and uh, just continue into that scripture. It's a wonderful scripture about a man named Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number 1. If you're there, uh, please stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Are you there? Say amen if you are. The Bible says this, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. It says, And Ahab told Jezebel, All that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. And said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. Lord, I thank you for the folks that have come out. Lord, I just pray that you would honor that effort. And Lord, I just pray that you would touch the ones that would love to be here this morning, but God can't be here due to health or being in the hospital or the nursing home or or whatever it may be. God, I just pray that you would touch Sister Brenda this morning and and her husband, Lord, as, as he's having some major health problems. Be with that family even this morning. Comfort them. And God, I pray that as we open your word to break the bread of life, Lord, that you would just be honored and you would be glorified, God, and that that I would just be your vessel and nothing more this morning. God, give me clarity of mind and clarity of speech as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you were here three weeks ago, and and some of you were, most of you were probably, I preached about, uh, out of 1 Kings chapter 18, and we, we learned about some very interesting people in the Bible. And the first one we learned about was Elijah, and how that he only shows up for about seven chapters, and he just disappears, he gets caught up into heaven in a whirlwind, and it's, it's kind of strange that one of the most prominent men, Old Testament men in the Bible, only appears for seven chapters. And then we also learned about the wicked king of Israel named Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And how that they had turned the entire nation to idolatry. And how that, that she had brought her god Baal in there. And how that they would worship him. And, and that Elijah called all the prophets together to Mount Carmel. And said, we're just going to settle this today. And that they sacrificed a bullock and tried to sacrifice it to Baal and nothing happened. And that God came down in His infinite power and He swallowed that sacrifice up stones and water and and even licked the dust up off the ground. And then Elijah slew 850 men that prophesied for Baal. And no doubt when that happened that day on Mount Carmel, that there was, there was the, the power of God just must have been really, really present that day, and God really showed His power to all those people in Israel. It said when the, when the fire came down and licked up the stones and the sacrifice, that the people fell on their face, and they said, "The Lord He is God." And Elijah is witness to all that. He sees all these people. He sees this sacrifice taken up into heaven by fire. And he sees all these people bow down. And that must have been what I would equate to a mountaintop moment. Right, Brother Tanner? You, you, you've all been in those times, right, when you've seen God move, you've seen the power of God in your life, and, and probably nobody in here, if I had a guess about it, has ever called down fire from heaven to consume anything. If you have, then surely you need to tell me about that after the service. But I doubt anybody has, and Elijah just did that, and no doubt God was on his side. Wouldn't you agree with that? That if you, if you put a sacrifice, a full-grown bull on an altar and you pray and God does exactly what he did, I would say that you're in pretty good standing with God at that time. And he did that, and, and, and he was having a wonderful time. So you're called up to where we're at, and we get to First Kings chapter number 19. Now one would think, just just reading that, if if I was able to just just think how I would hope to continue this story, I would want to say that Elijah went out and he went to all the cities of Israel and he told them about God's power and he said, hey, you need to repent because God's power has come down and, and God has shown himself and you need to turn from your wicked ways and follow God but that's not what happened. And so we arrive here in 1 Kings chapter 19 and this wicked woman Jezebel is going to rear her ugly head. And oh, what an ugly head it is. Ahab goes back and he goes to the temple or goes to the palace, maybe where Jezebel is, and he said, Jezebel, you're not going to believe what just happened at Mount Carmel. You know those 450 prophets that, that just ate at your table the other day? Well, they're dead now. Killed at the order of Elijah. And speaking of Elijah, he called fire down from heaven. See, he puts your God to shame, Jezebel. Your God couldn't do anything. Baal, you know that God that you brought over from your family and that, that you told everybody we need to worship because he's better than the God of heaven? He got put to shame. And so Jezebel, no doubt you could just see her face probably turning red and she was angry and she was wroth with Elijah and so she breathes this threatening. And she said in verse 2, Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah. She said, Go tell Elijah this, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as one of them, by tomorrow about this time. She said, Elijah, in simple terms, I'm going to kill you. Now, I would like to think that, that in my walk with Christ, if I'm ever threatened like that, that, that maybe I would send a messenger back and say, oh, you won't kill me. God's on my side. Wouldn't you like to be able to say that, Tanner? And George, I, I, know, I know you would love to say that, that if somebody threatened your life, you would love to be able to look them right in the eye and say, you know what? You can't do anything to me unless God allows you to do it. God is on my side. God will keep me safe and God will protect me. No. What did Elijah do? It says he ran for his life. Elijah, who had just seen the power of God fall from heaven literally... We like to say that figuratively sometimes that God's power fell on a service or God's power fell in a hospital room or whatever and the person was healed. But Elijah literally saw fire from heaven come down and consume this sacrifice. And yet when he heard a threatening from a wicked woman, he tucked his tail between his legs and he took off into the wilderness. It says he left his servant at Beersheba and then he went a day's journey into the wilderness. Now this wilderness was just a bunch of scrub brush. It was just bushes about yay high juniper trees. They're more like bushes over there. And it says that he found one and he crawled up under it. And then he said something that, that some people have probably said in here. And this is probably the crux of the message right here. And, and we'll add to it in just a few minutes. But it says in verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die. Now can you believe that? That this prophet of God, this man that had so much power in the previous chapter has now went into the wilderness and laid down, just, just laid down under a tree and say, God, will you just kill me? God, will you just take me out of here? See, Elijah went from the mountaintop to the valley really fast. And as a Christian, what I I see oftentimes... Is that when we get to those mountaintops, when we're in those spiritually high places in our lives, and it seems that the Spirit of God is moving, and maybe things are happening for the good, whether it be at church and, and people are getting saved, or, or folks are coming in and, and strengthening their relationship, or, or maybe it's in your own life when you're on that mountaintop and you're, you're reading the Word and you're spending time with God and you're fellowshipping like you're supposed to, and you're you're in a good place. You can go from the mountaintop one minute and then you hear one phrase from somebody or, or somebody says something to you or, or, or maybe you're threatened. Who knows what it could be, but you have, we all have those Jezebels in our life, don't we? Now, I hope you don't have a Jezebel in your life like that, but, but we all have those, those things and those moments that come up in our life where one word turns our world upside down. You ever had that happen? You ever seen that, Tyler? You've seen it, haven't you, buddy? Where that one minute everything's going great and all the, all the things are lining up in your life, and the next moment Satan shows up and you hit the very rock bottom. Now I would say in just, just reading the Bible at face value there that Elijah had to be at rock bottom to ask God to kill him. Because usually my first inclination when something goes wrong in my life is this, I'll ask God to take it away. That's what I usually do. That, that seems simple to me. It is God, can you help me through this? Or God, can you take this trial away from me? And maybe Elijah should have just laid down there and prayed to God and said, God, you heard what that woman said. You know her heart. You know that she's wicked. Lord, would you take her out of the way? Lord, maybe maybe just cast her and Ahab out of the kingdom and take them away. But no, Elijah did not do that. He did not ask to be protected. He didn't ask for God's provision in this situation. He just sat down and said, God, kill me pretty bad spot to be in if you ask me amen that's not a place i want to be but i'm sure people have been there i heard a story and and uh, a true story this lady i used to go to church with and uh she was young she was probably 20 23 24 years old and she just had a, a little girl and uh Her life wasn't going well. She was married, and she had kind of a rough upbringing, I guess, and just life wasn't going how she thought it should go. And she had this little girl, and so she went in her husband's closet and got a 12-gauge shotgun out. And she took it into the bedroom, and she loaded it, and she just sat it down. And no doubt in that moment in her life, she was thinking, I just need to be taken out of here. She didn't ask God to take the trial away. She didn't ask God to see her through it like she should have. She felt alone. And by the way, folks, Satan wants you to feel alone. Satan wants you to feel like that, that you can't do this. And no doubt, that, that's probably what had happened to Elijah. Maybe as he journeyed out into the wilderness for that entire day, he spent his day walking. And, and you know how it is, that when you're, when you're somewhere and you're out walking by yourself, your mind kind of clears out and you, you get to thinking you know, a little more. And Elijah got to thinking about a, a Jezebel's threat. And he said, you know what? It would be better if I just died. And that lady had thought that. And so he lays down. God doesn't kill him. I'm going to spoil the story for you, and we're going to get on into it. You know why God didn't kill him? Because God's not in that. Amen? I mean, let's just be real here. I'm, 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 I'm going with the Bible here. God does not ever want anybody to sit down and say, Lord, will you please just kill me? When, when that lady got that 12-gauge shotgun out, God was not in that. Amen? Amen? But people get in that shape. People get in that condition. And I tell you that if you just hit one little rough patch in your life that Satan is going to take it and he's going to take his magnifying glass and he's going to show it to you and tell you how bad it is and he's going to work at you and just make it seem a whole lot worse than what it really is. And sometimes we lay down and we just want to give up. But let's read on just a little bit further. Turn your attention to verse number 5. And we're going to read just a few verses. And it says, And he, as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruse of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid down again. Verse number 7 says, And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, and touched him, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. Now I like that last phrase in verse 7. He says that the journey is too great for thee, and truly our journey is too great for us. If it came down to us being able to handle our life, we couldn't do it. You wonder why people get in the shape that they're in and you wonder why people are so sad and, and, and people are depressed and, and just things are going wet, wrong and, and people are taking their life. You know why that is? Because they cannot handle this journey on their own. You wonder why pe- things are in chaos right now? It's because people are trying to do it on their own. But I want you to see this picture. This picture. That even though Elijah was in his, what I would probably consider to be his, the lowest hour of his life. We don't know much about him, but, but I would assume if you're asking God to kill you, you're at the lowest hour of your life. And he's laying there in the lowest hour of his life. Basically just giving up, taking his faith out of God. Sure, he had faith that God could kill him. But if his faith would have been where it was supposed to be, He would have been asking God for strength. He would have been asking God for help. But his faith was not there. And in spite of that, you know what? God still cared about him. In spite of the fact that he had laid down and just given up on life. I don't know what his intentions were. They might have just been to lay under that juniper tree and not eat and not drink and just let the heat take him out in a few days and be done with it and and nobody would have ever seen him again and said, where did Elijah go? But God said, no, this is my man and I will take care of him. And so God sent an angel and it says that the angel touched him and woke him up. What an what a, what a experience that would have been to feel somebody touch you and open your eyes and there sits an angel and that God has a meal prepared for you and God has given you water. And it, it doesn't say that Elijah was astounded. It just says that he ate and he drunk and then he went back to sleep. And then the angel woke him up a second time and did the same thing. Elijah was ready to, to just be done with life. You ever been there? You ever just said, I'm done with it? I've said that before about stuff, right? Normally it's when I'm trying to put something together that I buy at the store. And I, I'll throw it down and I'll say, I'm, I'm done with it. I don't ever want to see this stinking thing again. You men ever done that? Don't, don't sit there and act like I'm the only one that's done that. Y'all are, y'all are lying if you think that. Or whatever it is. You know, uh, I've seen people working on cars. I'm done with it, tired of it, don't want to mess with it anymore. You know what, sometimes people do that with their marriages. Oh, is that too close to home? People just say, you know what God, I've had enough. And instead of asking God for help, God, God strengthen me and God help me through this. And, and Lord put your hand on me and, and do something about this situation. They just say, I'm done with it, because they're trying to do it on their own. But yet, in spite of all that, God said, Elijah, I'm still here. I'm still here for you. And so let's read on a few more verses. We're just going to go verse by verse here, and it says in Verse 8, And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now there's something here that if you don't study this out, you'll completely miss because I have read this scripture all my life and I've preached on it several times. And did you know that when you read your Bible that names mean a lot? Would you agree with that? In fact, three weeks ago when I preached that other sermon, I told you that Elijah's name meant that that the Lord, he is God. And that that's what the people actually said when they bowed down on their faces, the Lord, he is God. And so as I was praying about this sermon and as I was studying it out, it hit me one night that there's probably something about the fact that Elijah went from one mountain to another. You're a preacher, you you do that, right? You get weird thoughts on your mind. And and you think, I've got to study this out. And I got to looking it up, and it's really simple. And I looked up, what does the word Carmel actually mean? Because that's where Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal through the power of God. He was on Mount Carmel. And I looked it up, and Carmel simply means this. It means that it's a fruitful and plentiful place. And that's how it is when we're on the mountaintops a lot of times, right? That, that, that God's being good to us. And that things are going well. And that there's plenty coming in. And, and everything's fruitful, you know. Souls are being saved. And everything was going good for Elijah on Mount Carmel. But then he goes to this other mountain. Mount Horeb. And he gets there. And by the way, it says if you notice that this was the Mount of God. In verse number 8, this wasn't just any mountain that Elijah went to. It was the Mount of God. This is where that God had given Moses the Ten Commandments. It's also known as Mount Sinai. But it means that it's a desert place. That's what Mount Horeb means. It just means desert. It means it's a desolate place. And how easy it is for us to go from, from fruitful and plentiful and everything going good to go to desert and desolate, just seemingly overnight. But I believe that it was in God's plan for Elijah to go 40 days. He went completely out of, out of Israel. He left the country. And he went into what would be modern day Saudi Arabia to this mountain. He completely left the area and he went to where God was. See, Elijah was one of the greatest prophets. In fact, in Matthew chapter 17, when Jesus transfigures himself, guess who shows up on the scene? Two people. Who are they? Moses and Elijah. And you know where God speaks to both of those people? Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And so he gets there and it says he finds himself a cave. Now I don't like caves, they're musty, they're nasty, and to me they're just, they're just damp places and they got the worst thing that could ever be in there and that's a bat. I mean that's a, a rat with wings folks and that ain't no good for nothing. And he goes in this cave and no doubt he just sits down again and he says, Okay God, 40 days later I've been walking and, and, and here I am, now What? Now what do I do? I've already asked you to kill me and you wouldn't kill me. You actually gave me strength for 40 days and allowed me to make this journey. Now what am I supposed to do? And so Elijah sits down and God asks him a question. He says, Elijah, he says, what doest thou here? Why are you here? What are you doing on this mountain? This is my mountain. This is where I speak to people. But I believe Elijah's purpose in going there was good. Verse 10, and he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, and for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. You know who told Elijah he was alone? It wasn't God. God never told Elijah, hey, you're in this on your own. I think we feel like that as Christians sometimes, though, that, that we're, we're doing this by ourselves. You know, it, it's really easy to be a Christian when you're here at church, right? I mean, you put your dress clothes on, you put your makeup on, you fix your hair real pretty, and, and you come to church, and you fellowship with your brothers and sisters, and, and you, everything's great. Then you go, and you have to face life. And, and life's not fun sometimes, amen? And you know how it is when you, you go to work or you go to school, and, and I think about Daniel sitting here on the front row. He goes, to, goes to, to, to high school. And just knowing young people like I do, I mean, I would say that, that Daniel's probably outnumbered. Would you say so? That you're probably one of the few Christians there? Just a small handful? Or you go to your workplace, Or you go to a a number of places and you feel isolated. You feel like you're the only one doing this thing. And Satan will blow that up. And he'll say, yeah, you're, you're, you're doing this on your own. And Elijah had himself another pity party. That's what he was having. He was just having pity parties. Verse 11, this is God speaking. This is God's instructions to Elijah. And by the way, this is the first time we hear God speak in this chapter. He says, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. He says, Elijah, just go outside and I'm going to do something here in your life. And it says that he went out, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountain and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord but the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire but the Lord was not in the fire now you think back to Mount Carmel forty days ago when Elijah was over there and the prophets of Baal were on the mountain the power of God showed up in what Tanner? how did God manifest himself on Carmel? Fire, are you paying attention? He is, I know he is. I just want to keep you awake, brother. Just 40 days ago, did, not, did God not show himself in fire? Did God not send his power down in, in a mighty way? And I think that sometimes what we do is we get in our mind when we read stories about Mount Carmel and we read stories about the Red Sea being parted and all these great and miraculous things that happen in the Bible that if we're not careful, we'll get in our mind that, that God can only move in those powerful ways. And we'll think that if, if God does something that it has to be a big deal and, and that the, the earth has to shake and the wind has to pass by and the fire has to come down and we think if God's not doing that in their life, then He must not be there. You ever thought that before? I mean, we've all seen God move in mighty ways. We've seen God do miracles in our lives. You say, well, God doesn't do miracles I, I just beg to differ. God still heals people. God still does things. In fact, I believe it's, it's a miracle that, that we're still even, uh, even alive and still here to be able to witness to people. God can move in mighty ways, and God will sometimes. But yet Elijah was standing there, and, and it says that he knew that God was not in these things. I can imagine that, that as that wind went by that, that he, he, he listened and he looked and he said, wow, God wasn't in that. You remember the sacrifice It took the rocks with it? There's something about that. and this, The rocks were broken and rent and torn in pieces. And then the earthquake happened and, and all these things. You know, an earthquake happened when Jesus died on the cross, right? That was a great mighty thing that God had done. And this, this, this incredible thing happens. But yet God's not in those things at this point. But then you read on, and, and we're almost done here. We'll read verse 12 again. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then here's, here it is right here. Very familiar piece of scripture. And after the fire, a still small voice. after these mighty things that had happened god chose to speak to Elijah now you read that and our king james bible says a still small voice if you look those words up in the original hebrew it actually says this it says that god was silent that word still right there it means that there's there's peace and when there's peace there's there's silence and it wasn't a great thing that God had done right then, but it said that God passed by in all these great and mighty ways, but yet when, when God was there, it was silent. And I believe that sometimes we're guilty of, of when God is silent in our lives, we say He must not be there. God, where are you at? I, I'm going through this. I, I don't know if Jim cares if I tell it, but, but he was, was sick. And and he's he's got one lung, and and no doubt that if you're you're sick with that and you've got one lung and you're you're dealing with something that's a respiratory problem, you're probably going to be a little scared, right? Or I, at least I would be. Now Jim's not scared of anything. He was scared. Praise the Lord, we got it. We got a mortal among us. He was scared. I'm not going to get mad at him for being scared, are you? God didn't get mad at him for being scared but no matter how scared anybody is in any situation you have to trust God Because see, it's not always that when you're going through something and when when the bad things happen in your life and and when your life is threatened by this woman named Jezebel that God's always going to show up with fire and consume people. God's not always going to take that wind and just blow it off the map. Or or God's not going to shake the earth and change things around and flip it over for you and say, here it is, it's fixed. Sometimes God will just be silent. Sometimes he'll just be quiet. Sometimes he won't do a whole lot of anything. But guess what? He's still there. He hasn't left you. I mean, it said that he wasn't in those great things. And in fact, when that still small voice came, it says in verse number 13, and so it was when Elijah heard it, when Elijah heard the silence, when there was nothing to hear, Elijah did this. It says that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. Elijah took his coat off or took his vest off, his overcoat, and he wrapped it around his head. And you think, why in the world would he do that? And I believe it was because God showed up right then. I'll tell you why I believe that it, and, and I won't get too deep into it but if you go back in your Bibles to the book of Exodus and you find that man named Moses that I've already alluded to just a little bit that was on this very mountain receiving the word of God. God said, Moses, I'm going to pass by. He said, but you can't look at me. And so what did, what did God do with Moses? He put him in the cleft of the rock, Right? And he covered him up. And it said that that he protected Moses when he passed by. And I believe that when God manifested himself on that very same mountain that day, that Elijah says, I'm not even worthy to see this. That I'm not even worthy to be in the presence of God. I'm not worthy to see God move in this way. And guess what God was doing? Silence. If a big fire comes by, I might cover my head up then. If a big wind happens, you know, what do they tell you when a tornado happens? What do they tell you to do? Cover your head, right? Go in in the bathroom, get in the bathtub, cover your head. Earthquake, same thing. Cover your head. Don't let your head get hit. But yet in the complete stillness and silence, that's when God showed up. And I know that somebody needed to hear this message this morning. I mean, I I fought with preaching this because I I preached the the previous message two weeks ago. But I understand that people get, get down, that people get depressed and they get discouraged. I understand that. And Elijah was in that same shape. One of the men that got to, uh, got to appear with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration asked God to kill him. You know who, asked, who else asked God to kill him? Moses. Huh. Seems to be kind of a common theme here, don't it? Sometimes God's people go through things and they don't understand it and they, and they deal with stuff and, and you get down and out and, and maybe you've considered taking your own life or maybe you've asked God, God, why don't you just take me on out of here? Hey, I've heard numerous stories of people getting cancer and being in such pain that they're just begging God to take them out. You've, you've heard stories about that, no doubt. Tanner, you've probably seen it, being a paramedic. That people are in just such pain and life is just not going well. And these may be good Christian people and they get to the point where they say, I can't take it anymore. God, get me out of here. And sometimes maybe that is the best solution. Sometimes I don't understand why people have to suffer through things. I don't get it. But I don't have to. It's not my job to understand everything. I wish I did, and I wish I could, and I wish I could explain to some people that come to me and say, hey, why am I having to go through this? I wish I had a good answer. But sometimes I just have to stand there and say, because God wants you to. That's all I got. And Elijah, I mean, it, we kind of, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of made him out to be a little, little bad here because he was doing good. But Satan fought him. I've never had anybody threaten my life. You know why his life was threatened? Because he was doing what God told him to do. That's why his head was on the chopping block there. That's why Jezebel had probably turned loose the entire army of Israel to track him down. I believe there's a reason he got out of the country and went to Saudi Arabia. Probably because the army was behind him. We get in those situations and we don't understand it. And Elijah, he answered God. He says, why are you here? And he said, God, I've defended you. Lord, I have stood up for you. Back there on that mountain, there was 850 of them, and there was one of me, and I declared that you are God. And yet here I am with my head on a wanted, a wanted poster. And God answers him. And we're going to read on. Verse 17, go with me here. And it says, and, I have, and, it, says, and it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. In verse 18, we just read in verses, verse 17 there, the marching orders of God. God said, I'm not done with you, Elijah. He comes to him, and he's silent for a minute, and Elijah gets where he needs to be. He puts his trust back in God, and he says, Elijah, I want you to go anoint some people. You're my prophet, you need to go anoint a new king because I'm about to take care of this guy Ahab for you and Jezebel. He said, you need to go anoint a new prophet in your place, his name's Elisha. And then he says, oh by the way, in verse 18, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal and every mouth which have not kissed him. That, that, was just, that was the last thing that God said to Elijah before Elijah takes off. Elijah's about done with this world when we get to the end of chapter 19. And, and, and God says, oh, by the way, you're not alone. There's other people that are here for you. There's 7,000 people. I, I remember from when I was about 17 years old, do, do sermons ever just stick in your head sometimes? I mean, sometimes, maybe Connie thinks back a sermon she shared when she was a little girl. And my pastor brother, Danny Bandy, got up one one Sunday night and he preached a sermon. He entitled it 7,002. And when he said, I'm going to preach about the 7,002, I thought, what in the world are you talking about? This man has lost his mind. 7,002. And what he preached was that when Elijah was told by God that there were 7,000 that had not bowed down, there were 7,000 and then Elijah made 7,001 and then Brother Danny made 7,002. Well, here's 7,003, right? And 7,004 and 7,005. You know, God has people everywhere in this world. I love it when, when I can go places and, and, and out just about my daily life and I meet Christians from other, other states. Other even other counties, and I've met folks from other countries, and I know that we're not in this by ourselves. We're not the only ones standing and defending God right now today. There's, folk, there's churches in, in Cookville, Tennessee right now that are making the same stand that we are, saying that the Lord, He is God. Hey, I know that's not a popular thing to say in this world, I get that, I understand that. But listen, God has called us to stand up. We can't sit down. We 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 really don't have time to do what Elijah did and lay down and say God just kill me. No, we've got other stuff we've got to do. And I guarantee guarantee you can you can take this to the bank that God will be with you during that. God has not forgotten you whoever you are that needed this message this morning, I want to tell you personally, God has not forgotten you. God knows exactly where you're at and God knows exactly what you were going through. Hey, somebody in here, this is not a topic we talk about a whole lot in church, but, but somebody in here may be dealing with that thought of, of, hey, get me out of here, God. It happens, people. If you're dealing with that, I promise you, God has not forsaken you. Sister Connie, come just play the piano. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I love you, God, and I thank you for this time that we've got to worship you through the preaching of your word. And Lord, I just pray that that as the message went out, God, that it penetrated hearts. And Lord, it, it helps somebody that may be struggling with things that, that I don't know about. And that, that maybe their family doesn't even know about. Hey, maybe their spouse doesn't even know about it. But God, you know. And Lord, I just pray that you would let people know that, that even though that they're, they're down in the lowest valley, that even though they're in the, the worst spot that they've ever been in their life right now, that God, that you've not forsaken them. And Lord, I just pray that maybe you would send that comforter this, this morning. Lord, as you sent that angel to Elijah that just tapped him on the shoulder and said, Hey, hey, God's got something for you here. Wake up and just, just take in what God has given you. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would maybe just tap somebody this morning and say, Hey, God's got something for you. If that's you this morning, we've already got folks on the altar, I would encourage you to come. You know where you can get that? You can get that sitting in your pew or you can get it at the altar. But I promise you that God has something for you and that God wants to strengthen you and that God wants to touch you in your life. Sure, it may seem that He's silent. He may not be doing great things in your life. He may not be moving in earthquakes and wind and in fire. But I promise you that God is willing and able to do something for you this morning. Lord, help us. God, help us to be honest with ourselves. Lord, help us to take these, these, these facades that we put on, God, these, these costumes that we sometimes dress ourselves up in and come to church and, and act like that we've got it all together when re- we really don't. God, I just pray that people would put aside their pride And Lord, that that when you speak to them, that Lord, we could just cover our faces up and say, God, we're, we're not even worthy to look at you because Lord, you're so holy. Lord, we praise you. God, I thank you for giving us this wonderful story of this man, Elijah. Thank you, Lord, for being here everybody stand for just a moment everybody bow your head and close your eyes and I won't take take up too much more more time and I just want to tell you I want you to understand and know that if you're saved God is on your side can you say amen to that and that God loves you and, and guess what if you're not saved God still loves you God still cares about you. And God wants to touch you and God wants to move in your life. I promise you he does. I just pray that everything in everybody's life and everybody's heart is is you can just stop and say it's it's well with my soul right now. That if you're saved, that you can say, God, I, I put this situation in Your hands, and and Lord, I want it to be well with my soul. If you're lost, you just say, God, I, I want You to save me, and I want You to cleanse me with Your blood, and He will. God's not left. God's not went anywhere. I mean, I understand that 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 church used to be a little different, and and that maybe 10-15 people sometimes we get saved at a time and we would say oh God was in that mighty thing and he very well might have been but let me tell you right here in 2020 God is still here it may be silent sometimes it may be even quiet in church but listen God will still speak God will still move he may ask you that question this morning. He may just, you can just put your name in there. He may say, why are you here? Why are you standing here? Why are you, why are you at the mouth of this cave feeling bad and feeling sorry? Why are you doing that? And you may come up with an answer like, well, God, I'm doing this by myself. And Lord, I'm alone in this world. What am I going to do now? And God may just not say anything. He may do something mighty. It's not my job to question how God's going to work. But it is my job to see God at work. I pray that this morning that we could have the, the, the same response that Elijah had to just cover our faces and say, God, you are holy. And Lord, I'm not even worthy to look at you. And I hope you understand that there's, there's far more people than you can ever imagine that are on your side see it's not just God if, if, if you're a Christian I'm for you as your pastor I mean I, I can only be so many places I'm, I'm limited sometimes but I'm for you and these folks around you that, that are in fellowship here at the Cookville Free Will Baptist Church they're for you we're all in this thing together I just pray that God has touched your heart let's pray one more time and and I know we've already prayed but I I don't believe you can ever pray too much God we just Lord I lift my hands up to you this morning and God I say thank you for what I know you've done and Lord I trust that as as this goes out and Lord that as we're about to dismiss God that, that this seed that has been planted Lord that you would water it and that Lord great increase would be seen God we trust you and we thank you in Jesus name Amen